Father, again, we come to your word, and there are so many lessons for us to learn here in this passage. And, Lord, as we look at these 12 men that uh, become, or these 12 babies that are born, that become the 12 tribes of Israel today, Lord, uh, we can learn a lot by just the circumstances of their birth. Uh, Lord, uh, it, it seems to be haphazard. It seems to almost be evil, some of the things that are going on here in this chapter. But, Lord, all of it is being uh, done within your permissive will, by your sovereign grace, by your providence. And, Lord, uh, we can learn why you did it the way you did it and how you did it the way you did it as we look at this text. And it certainly applies to our own lives and how you work in us because, Lord, we're no better than these people. Uh, we, we've got messed up lives, Lord, and certainly we had really messed up lives when we came to, to, to know Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we learn a lot about your providence, a lot about your election, a lot about your grace in this passage. And Lord, I just, we have so much this Thanksgiving season, Christmas season to be thankful for, but Lord, most of all, that, that you would come down to this earth and come through these men and orchestrate uh, your own uh, future through, through uh, uh, Jacob and Rachel and Leah and all of these circumstances, Lord, so that you could come to this earth and die for our sins so that, that, that we could have everlasting life. And we're just so grateful for that, Lord. And we thank you for all we have through Jesus Christ. And we ask you to bless this study. In his precious name I pray, amen. One of my favorite movies is the movie that was made in 1967 called The Dirty Dozen. I don't know if you ever watched that movie. Who hasn't watched that movie, right? Uh, well, it's a story, if you remember, about a major who is given this uh, assignment to train these 12 convicted murderers uh, to go into France and assassinate these German officers at this chateau in, in Brittany. Uh, and while he's in training, or while he's training these men, uh, they uh, commit an act of insubordination. And what he does, he withholds their soap and their shaving utensils, and for several weeks they can't shave or take a bath, and so they get the nickname, the Dirty Dozen. Well, in today's lesson, we're going to look at a Another group of 12 men that, uh, that I would like to, or I like to call the dirty dozen, uh, and not because they're unclean and unshaven, but because of the smutty circumstances uh, in which they are born and because of the dirty lives that they lived later on in their lives, as we'll, we'll see as we advance on uh, in Genesis. But God is orchestrating all of this. God, these are God's men. And they're on a mission from God. Even this dirty dozen that we're going to look at in, in uh, Genesis 29 and 30 today, they are God's man. And they're on the greatest mission of all. Uh, through these 12 men, uh, we're going to have uh, the nation of Israel come forth. And through the nation of Israel comes the Messiah. And so, so it's a very important mission. And, and we're going to be looking at how that mission begins today as we, we get into the last part of chapter 29. But let's Let's go back to where we left off last week. Uh, if you remember, Jacob had served his uh, uncle Laban for seven years to get Rachel. Well, the deceiver got deceived by his uncle Laban. And instead of getting uh, Rachel, uncle Laban gave uh, Jacob Leah. And uh, so uh, after, after the seven uh, days of honeymoon with Leah, then uh, uh, Laban gives Jacob Rachel. 
and he's going to have to serve another seven years uh, for Rachel. He also gives Jacob the two handmaids, or he actually gives his daughter their own handmaids, and so there's four women now in Jacob's house. Now, what's going to happen when you've got four women in one house? Well, there's going to be a lot of bickering going on, just like if there were four men in, in one house, there'd be a lot of bickering going on. But you're probably going to have some children that are going to come forth, and that's going to be exactly what we see happen as we, as we pick up today. So let's go back to where we left off, and let's pick up in verse number 31. It says, When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but... He, Rachel was barren. So what does that mean? That means he closed the womb of Rachel. So he opens the womb of uh, Leah and uh, he closes the, room of the, the womb of Rachel. Now, when the text says that Leah was unloved, who was she unloved by? She was unloved by Jacob. She wasn't unloved by God. God loved Leah. I think God actually felt sorry for Leah. He pitied Leah. Leah is the classic underdog. I mean, you just look at her situation. I mean, she was, she was probably much older than Rachel. She wasn't as pretty as Rachel. And she was, she was sort of an old maid. Even though I don't think she was an ugly woman, I think she, uh, Laban treated his daughters as chattel. And uh, he wanted to get something out of them, just like he got a big dowry for, for his sister, Rebecca. Uh, he wanted to get some, you know, something really a really strong dowry for them, and he hadn't gotten that, so he hadn't let her get married yet. And so she was an older lady. She hadn't been married. And finally, he says, look, I'm going to give you to Jacob. And he gives her to Jacob, but Jacob doesn't love her. So you got to feel sorry for her. I mean, I think God loves the underdog. If you're an underdog, hey, God loves you. I don't know about you, but but I came into this thing as a, as a big underdog. I was in pretty dire straits when... When, when God saved me, and probably you could say the same thing or give the same testimony yourself. But God looked down on me, and he pitied me. And like David said uh, about his own salvation, about himself, he said in Psalm 40, chapter, uh, verse 2, he says, He brought me out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, and he established my steps. That's exactly what God does for the underdog. That's exactly what he did for me, and, I, and that's exactly what he probably did for you. And that's one of the reasons that, that I don't get so excited about Thanksgiving Day, because for me, because of what God has done for me, every day is Thanksgiving Day. I am so grateful to the Lord, and I know you are too. All right, now, so uh, here's Leah, and she's grateful to the Lord now, because God has opened her womb, and she's going to get pregnant, and she believes that now, finally, Jacob is going to love her. And so let's pick up in verse number 32. She becomes pregnant, and then in verse number 32 it says, So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. Now that's actually two words there. We see it as one in this transliteration here. But, but it's actually made up of two words. Ben is the Hebrew word for son. Ru means to look. So really, she gives him this name, look, a son. Now, who was she saying that to by giving him that name? She was saying that to Jacob. Look, Jacob, I have a son. I've given you a son. So now maybe you're going to love me, Jacob, because I've given you a son. For she said, the Lord has surely looked upon my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will 
love me. So she really believes at this point that uh, uh, she really believes at this point that Jacob is going to love her. Now, as I said before, I talked about it last week. There's nothing in this text, in this portion of Genesis, that says anything about Rachel ever being in love with Jacob. But I believe Leah really was in love with Jacob. And more than anything else, she wanted Jacob to love her. And so she has this son, and she names him Reuben. Look, I've given you a son. Now maybe you'll love me. But it doesn't work. He doesn't love her. So so God gives her another son. And look in verse number 33. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me a son also. And she called his name Simeon, which means to hear. What, did he, what, did, what, what was heard? That God had heard that she was unloved, and so he gave her another son. And then in verse number 34, she conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband, he's not going to necessarily love me, but he's going to have to be attached to me. He's going to definitely be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, she named his name Levi, which means to be attached. And that's kind of sad because really all she feels at this point, she doesn't feel love. She just feels attached. She feels like there's no way now that, that uh, Jacob would ever leave her. But, but, but that's all she really has at this point. And she conceived again in verse number 35 and bore a son and said, Now, even though I'm unloved, watch this, even though I'm unloved, even though things aren't going my way, God has certainly been good to me. And she recognized that. And so she says, Now I will praise the Lord. And therefore she called his name Judah, which means to praise. Now, now all of that, uh, if you look at what happens next, she said, well, I left off the last sentence. He said, therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she stopped bearing children at that point. Now, that's strange, isn't it? Here she is. She had four sons, and she's all excited about having sons. She feels that Jacob is attached to her, and uh, now, uh, you know, she praises God. And God closes her womb. And what does that show us? It shows us you just can't put God in a box. I mean, the name Judah means to praise. And so she prays. She has this son and she praises the Lord. And no sooner sooner does she praise the Lord. What does the Lord do? He closes her womb and she stops bearing children. You would think God would have just opened her womb up even more. She would have had even more children, but she didn't. So Jacob's next child is going to come from Rachel's uh, handmaid, Billa. Uh, so it, none of this really makes sense. And so you got to ask yourself why. You know, Lord, why not just let Leah have these all of these 12 sons? And I, I don't know the exact reason why God did things this way. We don't, we don't always understand why God does the things the way he does things. I mean, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He makes that clear. But, but sometimes you can take a guess at it. You can kind of you can kind of speculate, you know, why, Lord, would you do it like this? Well, these 12, these 12 sons are going to become the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, but they're going to be a dirty dozen. 
I mean, they're going to be born in, in, in really smutty uh, circumstances, and they're going to, their, their lives are going to be really dirty, as I said before. And, and here you have an example of this. Here is the next son that's going to be born is not going to come from Leah, not even going to come from Rachel. It's going to come from Bella, his, his handmaid. Uh, so what God is saying in all of this, that these guys aren't some sort of super saints. I mean, they're, they're not going to be super saints. They're, or, they're going to be ordinary men. They're going to be evil men. They're not going to be virgin born. They're not going to be perfect. They're going to be anything but perfect. They're going to be sinners, and they're going to be born into a sinful world just like us. You see, the reason he does that is so that we can relate to these people, so that we can understand a little bit about the election and grace of God, that God doesn't elect and 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 give salvation to perfect people. If he did, none of us would ever get saved. None of us would ever be called if we waited, you know, if we had to be perfect in order to be called into the service in order to serve God. Uh, so, so they didn't deserve anything that they got. I mean, here are these, here are these 12 men. They're 12 babies right now, but later on, they're going to they're gonna be really important in the sense that they're going to become the nation of Israel. Through those 12 tribes, they're going to become the, the, the nation of Israel. And that is a great honor. And they're going to be honored in another sense in that through those 12 tribes, the Messiah is going to come. But did they deserve all of that? No, they didn't deserve any of what they got. None of it. Uh, what they deserved was death. What they deserved was hell, just like all of us. And that's kind of the picture that God's painting through this this dirty dozen. And so when we look at these 12 men, right at the beginning of the Bible, in fact, you don't, have to, you don't have to look far anywhere in the Bible to find a picture of God's election and a picture of his grace. And we're going to see that really blatantly as we look at these 12 sons of Jacob because they're really, they're really going to be pretty sordid characters as we, as, we, as we go through the rest of this story. Not today, but as we go through the rest of Genesis, we're going to see that, hey, these guys don't turn out so well. All right, now, as we come to chapter 30, we left off in the last verse. As we come to chapter 30, uh, we're going to see the next set of sons that are born uh, to Jacob, part of this dirty dozen. So pick up in chapter 30 and look in verse number 1. Now, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, Give me children or else I die. There's a movie I wouldn't recommend because it's R-rated, but I saw it before I was saved. It's a movie called Raisin Arizona. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie or not. But in the movie, uh, Holly Hunter plays a woman who can't have children. And so she goes to her husband, who's played by Nicolas Cage, and she says, give me a toddler. Give me a toddler. He says, what do you mean give you a toddler? How am I going to give you a toddler? You're sterile. I can't give you a toddler. And, she, and, and, and so he gets angry at her, and, and we get the same thing right here. Here's, here's Rachel, and she says to Jacob, you know, give me a, give me a toddler or else I'm going to die. And look at Jacob's response at verse number 2. And Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God? Who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? And he's exactly right. It, it, it wasn't him that closed the womb of Rachel. It was God who had closed the womb of Rachel. And so uh, uh, Jacob could say, hey, I'm certainly not sterile. I've already got four sons, so this isn't my fault. If it's, it's anybody's fault, 
it's your fault, and it's really not your fault. It's God who's closed your womb. So she said, here's my maid, Billa, and go into her, and she will bear a child on my knees, that I may also have children by her. Now, what did, what did she mean by bear a child on my knees? Well, when a, in that culture, uh, when a slave bore a proxy child for her master, uh, what she would do in the literal uh, uh, labor, the process of the labor, she would sit in the lap on the knees of her master and they both would, in, in, in a picture, they wouldn't actually do that, but they both would participate in the labor, the birth of that child. And so, so she says, look, uh, when she, she says, uh, she says, here's my maid, Billa, so go into her and she will bear a child on my knees that I may have children by her and then in verse number four it says then she gave Biller her maid as 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 a wife really as a concubine she they didn't actually get married and Jacob went into her so this this these children are going to be born that they're born to Billa and going to be born to Zilpah are going to be born out of wedlock now here's Rachel and I got to say this about Rachel Rachel wasn't the great woman of God that some people make her out to be she wasn't that at all in fact, when we get to chapter number 31, she's going she's gonna to ha- have taken, we're going to see that she has stolen her, her father's idols and put them in her luggage uh, as they're escaping from Uncle Laban. And so I believe the reason she took those idols is because she worshipped those idols. Those were her gods. And so she doesn't know anything about the Lord. I mean, she knows something about the Lord, but she's not living for the Lord. And so anybody that doesn't live for the Lord and doesn't know the Lord, they're gonna t- when, when they want something done, they're going to take matters into their own hands. And, and so that's what she's going to do. She's going she's to give her uh, handmaid to, to Jacob as a concubine, and then she wants Jacob to, to get her pregnant, and then she's going to have children through, through Billah. And, and what, what happens when you do things like that? When you take matters into your own hand, you do the same thing Abraham and Sarah did. When they took matters into their own hands, you produce an Ishmael. And an Ishmael is going to cause you trouble somewhere down the line. Now, look at the birth of these children that come from Billa. Looking in verse number 5 is where we left off. And Billa conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged my case, and he has also heard my voice, and he has given me a son. Therefore, he called his name Dan, which means to judge. Now, she's really delusional here because it wasn't God that gave her a son. God gave Bella a son. She, she doesn't have a son at this point. Now, I understand her, why, her reasoning because her feelings are hurt because God has given four sons to, to Leah, and she doesn't have any sons. And she's afraid that Leah's going to get Jacob and all the goodies that go with having Jacob. And so, so uh, uh, she's, you know, she, she gives her handmaid to Jacob. And, and she's thinking that, that uh, uh, you know, that's a win for her. But it's not a win for her. It's not a win at all. Look at verse number 7. She's going to do it again. And, and Rachel's maid Billa conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. And then Rachel said with great wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister. So she sees this as a battle going on between her and her sister, a contest. 
and she wants to win the contest. And I, again, I think she's delusional here because she's not winning the contest. I mean, her maid's having children, but she's still not having children. So she says, uh, and indeed, I have prevailed. Well, she really hasn't prevailed. But anyway, she thought she had prevailed, and so she called his name Naphtali, which means to wrestle and win. And so she thought she had was winning the battle now with her sister. But her sister is not going to take this lying down. So we, we go to verse number 9. Now, these, are, these are the wrong reasons to have children, by the way. Uh, to, to win a contest is not the reason you have a child. Uh, you have children because you want to have children, you want to raise children, you want to raise godly children, you want to be blessed by those children, but, but none of this is going on here. And you're going to see why these children are raised the way they're raised and why they have so much trouble later on because of just the way they were, the circumstances in which they were born. But anyway, when Leah saw that she had stopped bearing children, that her womb was closed, which was, again, strange that God would close her womb, but it forced the action now, so you have these two sons born by, by Billah. And when Leah saw that she had stopped bearing, she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her to Jacob as, as his wife. And Leah's maid, Zilpah, bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, a troop comes. I'm coming to do battle with my sister. And so she, so she named his name Gad, which, which uh, uh, means a troop comes. All right, so... so she goes again, verse number uh, 12. And Leah made Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, I am happy, for the daughters will now call me blessed. So she named his, called his name Asher, which means to be blessed, to be happy, or to be blessed. All right. Now, here's Rachel. She's been the... Uh, blunt of ridicule, probably much of her adult life because she had no children. Uh, she wasn't married. And now she's given by her father to Jacob. Uh, she, Jacob doesn't even want her. He wants Rachel. And it's really, a, as I said earlier, it's really a pitiful situation. But now she has four sons. And two sons by her concubine, or by her handmaid, by Jacob's concubine. And so she's given Jacob six sons. And so she says, hey, everybody's going to look at me now, and they're going to see me as blessed. The daughters of Haran are going to look at me, and instead of putting me down, they're going to see me as being blessed because I have six sons, and Rachel has only two sons. But things aren't so good for her at this point. Because I'm going to tell you what's happening, and, and you can... You got to read in between the lines here because it's not given to us, given to us in the text. But by context, we know this. What's happened? Rachel is in control of Jacob. Now, henpeck, whatever you want to call it, I think it's much more than that. It goes much deeper than that. Jacob loves her. I don't think Rachel loves Jacob so much, but he's using. She's using Jacob, and I think at this point she's gone to Jacob and she said, "You either." Be done with my sister or be done with me. I'm really ticked. She's got six kids. I don't have really any. I've got two by my handmaid. And she's ticked. And so she tells Jacob, don't have anything else to do with Leah or I'm leaving. That's it. And I really believe that's what happened because look at what happens next. And it really gets strange here now. It says in verse number 14, Now Reuben, the oldest son, went in the days of the wheat harvest, 
and found mandrakes. Now, that's, those aren't ducks for you duck hunters. Uh, in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. Now, why in the world would she want these mandrakes? Well, you got to know what a mandrake is. A mandrake is this flower that produces a fruit that's somewhere in between a potato and an apple, kind of like an apple potato is what you would, what you would call it. And the Arabs call it the devil's apple. Because the reason they call it the devil's apple is because you can take the leaves and you can smoke the leaves like, and it gives you a high like marijuana, something like that. You can take the fruit, the apples, or the potato apples, and you can ferment those, that fruit and uh, then you can eat that fruit and it will give you a high that will then put you in, after you're high, you'll go into a deep sleep. And here's Rachel. And Rachel, again, is, I don't think she's a godly woman. I think she's a lot like Esau, Jacob's brother. And she's a carnal woman. And so she's willing to sell Leah back or let Leah come back into the fold if, if she can get a hold of some of those drugs. Just give me some drugs and I'll let you have your husband back. Pretty, pretty seedy characters here, right? All right, now look at verse number 15. And so, but she said to her, it is a small matter that you have taken away my husband. Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? This is Leah speaking to Rachel. I mean, you've taken away my husband, uh, like, and, and, and you want my drugs too? And Rachel said, therefore he will be, watch what she, how she answers. Therefore he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. In other words, I will sell you back my husband for some drugs. I will let Jacob be your prostitute. For some drugs. In fact, I don't think she's talking about just this night. You can have him back. You can be back in a relationship with him if you'll just give me some of those drugs. And when Jacob came out from the field, now, you know, I got to stop for a second. Where is Jacob in all of this? Where's this? I mean, where's Israel? The, one of the patriarchs, the father of the nation of Israel. Where, where is this guy? Man, he's just having fun. I mean, he's, he's out in the field and, and all these women are wanting to have children with him and he's having a ball and I don't even think he cares about having children. I'm not going to tell you what I mean by fun, but, but he wants to, ha- he's, he's, he's having a good time. And so, so, uh, anyway, where'd I leave off? And he came out of, it, it, verse number 16. And when Jacob came out of the field in the evening, Leah went to, out to meet him and said, you must come in to me. You must have sex with me. For I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. You're a prostitute tonight. And he lay with her. He doesn't say, no, I'm not going to do that. Who do you think I am? He says, okay. And he lay with her that night. And I think she prayed that God would open her womb again and give her a child. And sure enough, in verse number 17, and God listened to Leah and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah said, God has given me my wages because I have given my maid Zilpah. In other words, she gave her servant up to Jacob in order to have those two sons. And so God has paid her back with another son. So she called his name uh, Issachar, which means wages. And then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And, and Leah said, God has endowed me with good a good endowment. In other words, I've got now... I've got now six sons, 
uh, and two sons by my, by my handmaid. And now my husband will dwell with me because I have given him these six sons. So she called his name Zebulun, which means to dwell. And so uh, I think at this point, Jacob does dwell with Leah at this point. And because later on, look what happens in verse number 21. Afterward, she bore a daughter and she called her name Dinah, which is a form of the Hebrew word Dan. It's the female form of the Hebrew word Dan. And we've already saw the meaning of the Hebrew word Dan means to judge. And so, uh, or to govern is another way to put that. And I understand what Leah, why she gave Dinah that name, because she says to herself, man, if the two of us, me and Rachel, can control Jacob like this, imagine what a little daughter will do. Uh, she will certainly have him wrapped around her finger. So, so uh, she calls her Dinah. He's going to govern over Jacob. And then, strangely enough, God intervenes again, and God remembered Rachel. Now, God doesn't forget things. When it says God remembered Rachel, that's an anthropomorphism which just puts things in terms where we can understand how God operates. God had predetermined way before the foundation of the world when these 12 sons were going to be born. And he knew exactly who they were going to be and how they were going to be born. And, and, and so he's in all of this. But the next step in his plan is to remember Rachel, to, to open Rachel's womb. And God listen. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb, and she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. Now, taken away is important because that's the Hebrew word Joseph. And, they, and, and so she's going to give him that name. So she called his name Joseph and said, The Lord shall Joseph add to, add to me another son. Now, now, there's a good Hebrew lesson here. I'm not going to try to try to make Hebrew scholars out of any of you, and I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but, 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 but here's what I want you to see, and it's important that you see it. Because when you're interpreting the Bible, and somebody tells you the Hebrew says this, you've got to be careful with that. Because the a Hebrew word has a wide range of meaning. This word right here, Joseph, it means to add, and it means to subtract. You can't get any wider than that. And, and the word, you take another, I'll give you another example. The word ra'ah, which means evil, it can also mean good. It, may, it has a whole range of meaning there between evil and good. Now, what does that tell you? That tells you that you just can't spit out and say the Hebrew word says this. You've got to look at what? What's critical in interpreting a Hebrew word? Context. See, context here tells us that certainly... She didn't add to her reproach. Her reproach was taken away. Context tells her that she didn't want to take away her son. She wanted to add her son. So you've got to look at that Hebrew word, and the word means to add and subtract, and you've got to put it in its context. In any case, what she's saying right here, first of all, God has taken away her reproach. We've talked about this already. I mean, here was Rachel, and she was a beautiful woman. Uh, uh, Rachel was loved. She had Two sons from her handmaid, Billa. I mean, and she, and she had Joe, I mean, Jacob virtually wrapped around her finger. But she still was losing this battle to her sister Leah because Leah had six sons and two sons from her concubine. And, and, and Rachel didn't have any. And so now she has this son and she names him Joseph because 
God has taken away her reproach. But that's not enough, she says. I want more sons. And so she asked, she's asking God through this name, hopefully that God would add to her more sons. So the name Joseph applies to that too. And she actually does get one more son. But when she bears that last son, that 12th son of jo- Jacob's, his name is Benjamin, which means son of my pain. Ben, that's what word Ben again, like Ruben. But this is Benjamin. Ben means son and Jamin means pain. So, so he's the son of her pain. And actually, she died bearing, bearing, bearing Benjamin. This comes much later on when they're leaving Bethel and they're heading to Shechem. And they, on the way on the trip, she, she goes into labor. And because they're out on that trip and I, I guess in, in stress on that trip, she, she doesn't lose the son. Benjamin is born, but she dies giving birth. And Rachel is buried there in Bethlehem. Leah will be buried there at Machpelah. I talked about that a little bit last week. So there you have it. I mean, you've got this birth of this dirty dozen. I mean, uh, uh, 12 sons, very important sons. Very important sons to you, very important sons to me. Because without these sons, there's no Israel. And without Israel, there's no David. And without David, there's no Jesus. And so, hey, all of this is, is important to all of us. But there's some really, as look at, looking at this, there's some really important lessons that we can learn as we, as we finish up here. Uh, the first lesson is really, I think, the lesson of Genesis. I mean, we talked about, we, our title for Genesis is, is the foundational truths of the Bible, or our theme is the found, that it, Genesis is all about the foundation, foundational truths of the Bible. And, and I think the main foundational truth that we see in the book of Genesis is this, that God is sovereign, that God never abdicates his throne. I mean, you could take that all the way from Genesis chapter 29 and chapter 30 all the way to 2019, and you can say the same thing, and that's why this is so important to learn these lessons. God is sovereign, and he never abdicates his throne. So when you look at the United States of America today and you see us going down the tubes is the way it looks, hey, I'm not too worried about it because everything that's happening is happening within the permissive will of God. If God wants Trump to be president, I don't care whether you like Trump or not, what's happening to him seems to be wrong to me. But I can tell you this, if he's impeached and he's taken out of the position of president of the United States, it's God doing it. And if God wants him on that throne in that Capitol or in that White House, he's going to be on that throne and there's nothing the Democrats can do about it. And I, and I, I see that in every area of my life. I have to look at my own life and say, you know, whatever happens to me, it happens by the permissive will of the sovereign will of the providence of God. And I've got to trust that. And that makes life a lot easier. It makes it a lot more blessed when you come to that point where you really realize that God is in control of the affairs of men and of the affairs of women. Even in these sordid events that we just looked at here in Genesis chapter 29 and 30, God was in control of all of that. He was in charge of everything that was happening. He was opening and closing wounds in order to get his purposes fulfilled 
And I'll tell you this, those 12 men that made up those 12 tribes of Israel were chosen by God before the foundation of the world. None of this was chance. And that applies to every aspect of every life of every believer. Nothing is chance. Even the dice, the Proverbs say, hey, the numbers come up, but God determines the number that comes up. Everything that happens in your life. Everything that happens in your life comes by through the promise of God, if you're a believer. And like I said, if you're not a believer, you're just a tool being used by, by, by the Lord, and your life is nothing more than a crapshoot. But who wants to live life like that? I want my life to be determined and orchestrated by the Lord. And all I have to do to get into that position is to give my life to the Lord. I give my life to the Lord, and then things begin to make sense. And I see God's protection. I see his hand on my life. I see that he's sovereign over everything that happens in my life. And that is a good place to be. Does that mean it's going to be easy? No. But God is sovereign over the difficult times as much as he is over the easy times. Now, the second lesson that we see right here, here's all this evil taking place, these two two women fighting to to see who can have the most kids. And here's the lesson we want to learn, the next lesson we want to learn, the second lesson we want to learn from this, that God takes our evil and he turns it to good. He always does that. That's the same lesson that Rachel's son, we just looked at, Joseph is going to have to learn, isn't it? Because these brothers, these brothers who make up the 12 tribes of Israel from whom the Messiah will come forth are the same brothers who will sell Joseph into slavery. They will be so jealous of him, they will sell him into slavery. He'll go to Egypt, and I'm not going to go up through the whole story. But, but, but at some point, Je- Joseph learns that lesson. That Really, he learned that lesson when all of a sudden he was sitting as the second most powerful man in the world. He realized that God had taken their evil and he had turned it to good. And then when he meets these, these, his brothers again and they're afraid that, that, he, that he's going to have them killed, he tells them, he says, look, you know, I'm not going to have you killed. What you did that was evil, God turned to good. And so we're all alive because of this. We're all alive because of your evil. God let you do your evil so that he could turn it to good. I mean, you just look at this, these 12 sons right here and how they were born, how they were conceived. It was all with evil intent. I mean, Leah was, she wanted to have children uh, so that she would be loved by, by Jacob. Uh, so that she wouldn't be reproached by her friends. Rachel wanted to have children because uh, uh, she wanted to end her reproach because Leah was having children and she wasn't having children. Uh, These four sons were born to these handmaids because uh, these women were in competition with each other, not because they wanted children, more children. Uh, Leah gave Rachel drugs in order to, to, to get her last two sons and to get her last daughter. And, and then, uh, uh, you know, here's Jacob in all of this, and he's just sitting back and let, complicit in it and letting it all happen. And so all of this is evil, but God took all of this 
evil and he turned it to good. He turned it to good because here you have this dirty dozen here and through this dirty dozen is going to come the one who uh, is going to save the world and save that dirty dozen, in fact, not just the world. So, so that's the third lesson. God turns evil people to good. Man, you talk about a great lesson to learn. You're not good you, in and of yourself. No one is good but God, Jesus said. None of us are good. I mean, the, 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 the lesson that we learn right here is that God takes evil men and women, and that's his goal. His whole goal is to turn us to good. He wants to turn us from being evil to being righteous. And that's exactly what happened to these 12 sons. I mean, these 12 sons, I mean, they're, they're heroes in the, in the, in the uh, millennium. And when we go into eternity, they're heroes forever. What heroic thing did they ever do? They were born. God's the hero because God's the one who is going to turn them to good. I mean, you take the story of the 12 sons of Jacob and you talk about a story of grace. That is an amazing story story of grace i mean just look at them they're going to become a nation they're going to become a great nation and they're going to one day grow into this nation of millions of people and they're going to end up in the promised land but they're still going to be evil they're still going to be evil and they're going to turn on god and they're going to worship idols and god's going to kick them out of that land and after 70 years he's going to return them to the land are they good then no, they're still evil. And they live in the land for, for hundreds and, and even a thousand years. And then one day, uh, Jesus comes to this earth. God comes to this earth. Emmanuel, on Christmas, he comes to this earth to save the world of their sins and, and, and to be the king of Israel. And what do they do with their king? Because they're still evil, they crucify their king. They crucify him. And then God kicks them out of the land again in 70 A.D. He kicks them out of the land and they're scattered all over the world. And they've come, miracle of miracles, as I said last week, now they're back in that land today. And and here's where I think a lot of Christians go wrong. They're, They're just really good people now. They're still evil. Very, very evil people. Just like you and I. Outside the grace of God are evil, unregenerated or evil people. They are unregenerated evil people. Now, I certainly am, don't believe in replacement theology, and I certainly love the nation of Israel because Jesus is going to come back to that nation, and that excites me. But those people, don't, don't kid yourself. They don't love you. They're still wicked people, and they would crucify the Lord all over again if he didn't, doesn't do what he's going to do, he's going to take them through the great tribulation because they're still wicked. And when they finish the great tribulation, they're still going to be wicked. And then they're going to, God is going to come to this earth. He's going to split the Mount of Olives in two. And he's going to pour out his spirit on the nation of Israel. And when he pours out his spirit, they're going to look on the one whom they pierced and they're going to weep as a mother weeps for her lost firstborn child. They're going to weep. And they're going to realize what they've done because their eyes are now open and they're being regenerated by the Spirit of God. Every bit of that is grace. God takes this dirty dozen 
makes a nation out of them, a, a, a wicked nation throughout their history. But one day, that dirty dozen is going to be made absolutely perfect because they're going to exchange their dirtiness, their filthy rags for the rags or, or for the clothes of glory, the robes of glory, the robes of righteousness that are given through Jesus Christ. That's the same thing we've done. And whenever you lose sight of that, you're making a big mistake. I mean, we, none of us, none of us are anything but a dirty group without those robes of righteousness. And how do we get those? We don't earn them. They are a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's all by grace. The grace of God that takes a nation, brings forth a Savior who dies for our sins so that we can exchange our robes, our rags of wickedness for his robes of righteousness. That is a story of grace. So let's go to the Lord and then we'll do the Lord's Supper. Father, we just thank you for what you've done for us. Father, through these dirty men, through Adam and Eve, through Noah, through all these characters in the Bible, you brought forth a nation, a nation which, Lord, you would come to as Emmanuel, God with us, to die on a cross for us, Lord, so that we could be made clean, so that this dirty dozen could be made clean, so that all of us dirty creatures could be made clean. By your grace, Lord, through faith, and that faith is even a gift from you. Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't truly know you as their Savior, Lord, I just ask today that you, you convict them of just how wicked they are and show them that the only way to find righteousness is to exchange those robes or rags for your robes of righteousness that come through Jesus Christ and his broken body and blood. And we want to remember that now, Lord, as we partake of this supper. We're so grateful to you for all that you do for us. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.